Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode 18 of the Love Capades podcast. Last time, Michelle told us about three mystical love affairs and described their special brand of magic, mystery, and wonder. She also revealed some amazing supernatural experiences that occurred while on a trip to Egypt. One can only imagine what's up next. So let's dive in. This chapter is called Puppy Love. My mother had been one of those people who loved dogs throughout her life with a furry fury. While cleaning out my parents' home, I found an 88-page report she'd written in the eighth grade all about dogs, and the teacher had given her an A+. She'd never shared that with any of us. I also found a red box tied with a white ribbon containing a collection of miniature ceramic pooches, a true treasure which I set out on a shelf in my home office. Growing up, we'd had the most wonderful boxer named Ginger. She was a total character, and we all loved her dearly. However, I was never the dog lover my mother was until something extraordinary happened in late 2000, just a few months after my Egypt trip. With my career and frequent travel, having a dog had just not been in the cards. Instead, I had a cat named Truffle, who lived to be 19 years old. Fluffy Truffy, as I called him, because of his fantastic, erect, fleecy, black and white tail, was the perfect pet for me outdoors while I was working, and inside when I returned. Finally, when he died, I held a ceremonial burial in my garden with eulogy and all. Shortly afterwards, I had one of my sessions with Linda, the therapist. She had an office by this time, and when I arrived, a small terrier named Monty was bouncing around the room. A new partner, I asked? She'd gotten a rescue dog to help rescue her from her nasty divorce. Very sarcastically, I added, I suppose I'm meant to get a dog now, too. To make it official that there was no way I was tying myself down with a canine companion, we did our usual muscle testing routine. Lo and behold, the answer came back, yes, to getting a dog. I freaked out. No, 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 I thought, this can't be true. But I'd learned that going against my inner truth was not a good idea. So reluctantly, I began to pursue the idea of a dog. I recruited the help of a friend named Barbara, ironically my mother's first name, who had a regal standard white poodle named Coconut. We went on a doggy shopping spree at the annual dog show up at San Francisco's Cow Palace, a venue that displayed about three acres of dogs alongside their breeders. Talk about overwhelming. 
I'd always been fond of Westfield Highland Terriers, the Westies. We looked for them amongst all the breeds, but that year there was none to be found. It's probably just as well, as the other terrier breeders told me terriers were lovable but hard to train and prone to digging up gardens. Not a good combo for a first-time pup owner with a garden. What I noticed after walking through the miles of aisles was that the breeders looked much like their breeds and much like each other. Not to stereotype too broadly, but the terrier folk were sort of slovenly and laid back, which didn't fit my profile in the least. Finally, Barbara suggested we go over to the poodle department. Having no clue about poodles, I protested. I don't want one of those silly frou-frou dogs. But when we approached the area, I immediately noticed the well-groomed owners with their fashionable attire and jewelry. These are my people, I thought to myself. (laughs) Oh, dear. That opened my mind up to learn how extraordinary poodles really are. First of all, they are not French, but rather German and bred to retrieve birds in the frigid water. That's the reason for the distinctive clipping of their heavy coats around the joints, designed to keep them warm while working. Poodles are descended from the Portuguese water dog breed. Soon enough, you will understand why it's important to know this. They also have hair rather than fur, so for most people are considered hypoallergenic. Of course, poodles are one of the top two or three smartest breeds. They are loyal, athletic, funny, elegant, loving, and remarkably companionable. Learning their true nature, I was instantly sold and began in earnest to look for a poodle of my own. Next, I needed to figure out what color and what size. Poodles come in oodles of colors, and the size choices are standard, miniature, toy, even teacup. It turns out the universe made the decision for me. Soon after the cow palace caper, I went to have my regular manicure at a salon in Los Altos, While there, one of the hairdressers, a Brit named Martin, announced to all within earshot that he'd just gotten a precious three-month-old poodle puppy from a breeder in Marin County. Naturally, I asked him for details. Before I could explore further, I had a call from him saying that he and his wife had just learned they were expecting a second child, and with the dog they already had, had decided they couldn't keep Bella. Would I be interested in purchasing her? I grabbed Poodle Barb and another friend, Anna, and we scurried over to meet the puppy. What we found was the most adorable miniature black poodle prancing around the room with both joy and panache. If dogs could be royal, she exuded that vibe. Even though I had massive nerves about actually getting a dog, I couldn't resist her. Martin and I worked out the details, and he was to bring Bella over to my house with all of her gear a few days later. Half of me was excited, and the other half was petrified. 
The day she was to arrive, Martin called to say they'd changed their minds and were keeping Bella. I was actually kind of relieved. Not so fast, said the universe, which had put me up to this in the first place. By that evening, he'd called back to say the puppy was mine and he'd be over shortly to deliver her. I was like the mother of a newborn with literally no clue what to do. Thankfully, my friends came calling to meet the little fluffball and to offer advice. I hired a trainer to train me how to manage her in the early days. Then came the matter of a name. She arrived during Valentine week of 2001. So my first thought was Valentina. Then Anna interceded and lobbied for Shakti, a Sanskrit word that means the creative energy of the cosmos. A weird name for sure, but it seemed to fit her bigger-than-life personality. From the outset, I took her everywhere, even to my office, where she hung out in a dog crate when we weren't playing with her. It didn't take long for me to be under her spell. She was smart, playful, and loving, and the best company I'd ever had. When Barack Obama was elected in 2008, the president-to-be spoke of getting a dog for his daughters once they were in the White House. So I wrote a letter to Malia and Sasha from Shakti's point of view, advocating for them to get a poodle. I have to say, it was a hilarious account of our lives together. Our letter must have been well-received because some months later in the mail came a personal note from Michelle Obama on official White House stationery. She thanked us for our missive and described their new puppy, Bo, a Portuguese water dog. She even included a photo of Bo in her letter. Shortly, I will read both letters for you and will also post the letters and the picture of Bo on the Love Capay's Facebook page. The miracle of Shakti is that she came into my life just in time to keep me afloat when my brother died a few months later, coupled with the 9-11 catastrophe not long after that. At the darkest moments, I could look into her beautiful brown eyes where there were no barriers, only invitations to connect, to communicate without words, indeed to melt into one another. It was so affirming so comforting, so adoring, so loving. Shakti touched not only my heart, but that of everyone who met her. Because her kind of love was so pure, so unconditional, I'm sure that my friends liked Shakti more than me. <laughs> In fact, my chiropractor, April, who did work with dogs as well as people, said of her, Shakti is one of my very favorite creatures on the planet. She's a very high being. She was truly a force of nature, filled with the joyful energy her name described, and one of my greatest gifts. So when her time to go arrived, I was devastated. We had shared 15 blessed years together, and then her little heart gave out. Rarely, if ever, have I experienced such grief, even with the loss of a family member. Those of you who've had dogs understand what I am saying. There is a quality of pureness to the bond, 
void of the convoluted, agenda-driven stuff of human relationships. I imagine that some love affairs may attain that level of connection, but they are few and far between. To celebrate Shakti's life, I had a memorial party and invited many of her friends. It was appropriately shishi to honor her, catered with cookies and a cake in the shape of doggy buns. We sat in a big circle and shared tales, T-A-I-L-S. I also received many condolence cards from those who couldn't attend. One of them said this, she was really something a mini you in dog form. She was vibrant, sassy, and stylish. I know you will miss her terribly. Another summed it up best. Quote, I too understood the magnificence of Shakti. You opened your heart to an amazing love that was physically present and now will be ongoing. What a gift. Love is why we're here on the planet and you've done very, very well. Amen. Here's a sweet postscript love bite about my Shakti girl. To paint a fuller picture of how Shakti brought love into my life, I share here something I wrote one day after spending a spell with her in our garden. Quote, I was lounging in my green mesh REI chair on the fringe of the bluegrass lawn, reading a book on writing. The setting sun hid behind an arbor post, its rays filtering through the pink and white climbing roses. Shakti romped and cavorted as she produced treasures to chew on out of the garden crevices. Wisteria pods, rediscovered bones, fallen tree branches. Eventually, she came to rest at my feet after several dervish-like circuits designed to spill her extra energy. A green-tinged hummingbird literally danced 12 inches from my nose and then darted into the Chinese pistachio tree. As if cued from stage wings, a robin hopped across the lawn with a worm desperately dangling from its mouth. I asked myself, what had I done to deserve this nirvana? And then I let the question slip before the scene's dreamlike spell was broken. Ah, sigh. And now, here is the letter Shakti and I wrote to Malia and Sasha Obama, dated November 17th, 2008. Dear Malia and Sasha, First of all, before I explain the reason for my letter, let me say that my mom and I are totally thrilled that your dad is our new president. She was even a Republican before, but told me that from the beginning, she knew Mr. Obama had the chance for greatness and change. And I personally am excited because in his acceptance speech, your dad showed extra smarts by talking about dogs. You see, I'm a dog myself. A little history is probably in order here. I was born on November 7th in the year 2000, and through a series of steps and missteps, I was very fortunate to arrive at my mom's doorstep in Menlo Park, California during Valentine week of 2001. At first, she was completely freaked out because she had only ever had cats and didn't know how to take care of me. So I had to be patient until she caught on. 
Luckily, she's trainable. The first thing she did was name me a kind of weird name, like your dad has. (laughs) I'm Shakti Valentine, Shakti for short. It means the creative energy of the universe in Sanskrit. Mom's into spiritual stuff, and hearts are her favorite image. People's tongues get caught on the name, but once they get to know me, they accept me for who I am and forget how foreign my name is. That first week, Mom set up a little fenced-in area in the kitchen with pee pads so I wouldn't have accidents in the house. She's very fussy about the house. Then there was the business of what and when to feed me, where I would sleep, and what to do with me while she was at work. There were so many new things to deal with. She was pretty stressed out for a while, especially since she'd never had any real kids of her own to practice on. I suggested she get a professional trainer to help her adjust. So thank goodness she did. Barry, the trainer, said I was so intelligent, even she couldn't outsmart me. Not that I was trying to trick anyone. (laughs) Ha. Since those early days, I've received a puppy PhD from Stanford University, my mom's alma mater. We both majored in language arts, hence my ability to write letters. I'm a poodle, a miniature black poodle, in fact. The minis are the medium size in our breed, just about perfect because we fit everywhere, but aren't so small we would get underfoot or lost in that big house you're moving to. We are known for our smarts, our beauty, see the photos attached, our winning personalities, being quick studies, trainability, athleticism, bred to be bird dogs, plus our loyalty and liveliness. I do confess to keeping my mom on her toes most of the time. She tells her friends that I'm very entertaining and funny. One of my early tricks was to steal her shoes and slippers. She had these purple Ugg slippers, and I chewed on them to make clouds of purple fuzz. I thought it was hysterical, but somehow she didn't appreciate my efforts. So now the bedroom door remains closed most of the time. It's not a problem, though, because I can find lots of other fun things to do. We have a lovely garden, and I love to run around frolicking and playing in nature. Sometimes I just jump high in the air out of pure joy. Actually, I'm pretty spoiled. I have lots of love for mom, tons of friends, and zillions of toys. My favorites are the stuffies that squeak, such as my cupcake, my Tootsie Roll, my heart that says, I love you, when I squeeze it, my witch that cackles, and my very favorite teddy bear that I got on my first birthday. It looks just like any kid's teddy after a lot of cuddly and dragging about. I'm lucky because mom takes me just about everywhere with her. I even have a dog throne in the back seat of the car so I can see out while we're cruising around. We love to go on walks and we love to go shopping. We both have fashionable wardrobes and know how to put outfits together. We noticed your mom knows how to do this too. The thing is, living with a human being is very cool. 
Mom loves me and I love her back a whole lot. We live alone, but it never feels lonely. I sit at her feet while she works on the computer, but our best times are spent cuddly on the couch in front of the TV. I love to put my little face right on mom's thigh while she pets me nonstop. As you've probably heard, we poodles have hair, not fur, so our good hypoallergenic pets and our coats feel like cashmere. That's why people can't keep their hands off me. I'm very fastidious and I'm particularly pleased when I come back from the groomer because I know how pretty I look. My prance has an extra bounce. Yes, I'm told I have quite a regal bearing. Don't worry, though, I couldn't be more friendly. People mistakenly think we are a little snobby like the French, but in fact, we're really of German extraction and descend from Portuguese water dogs. So we have international flair and make good diplomats because we love all people and all dogs, too. Mom and I think it would be the absolute best if you would choose a poodle to come live with you in Washington. What could be better than a black poodle in the White House? We would be very happy to be in your puppy cabinet and come to visit you once you get settled into your new digs. I've never been on an airplane, but Mom loves to travel. I'd fit nicely under the plane seat and promise I'd be on my best behavior. Maybe you could get us an invite to the inaugural ball. Hint, hint. In the meantime, perhaps we could correspond in case you have any questions I might answer for you. After all, I am the president of the Poodle for the First Family Club. It's going to be such an exciting time for both of you girls and for people and pets in America and around the world. We all need to come together, work together, and especially play together. Lots of love and luck, Shakti. So some months later, I received an official letter from Michelle Obama on White House stationery dated June 16th, 2009. Dear Michelle, thank you for your nice note. As you know, the newest member of our family is a furry, four-legged friend named Bo, and we're all so glad to have him around. There is a rich history of White House pets, and our family is excited to continue that tradition. Bo is a Portuguese water dog who likes to have fun, and luckily there is plenty of room for him to run and play on the White House lawn. Having a pet is a family affair, and we all have responsibilities to take care of Bo. He keeps us busy, but it's so much fun for all of us. Thank you again for taking the time to write. I wish you all the best. Sincerely, Michelle Obama. Isn't that a great story? Michelle, the the spiritual journey continues, this time love with an animal. I love it. <laughs> love in its many oh, shapes and forms. I know. A very special animal. Very special animal. So at the beginning of the episode, you told us that you found 
I guess after your parents had passed away, you were going through their things, and you found amongst your mother's things this like 80-something page document she wrote in eighth grade about dogs that she had never told you about, and you found some other wonderful things. What did that tell you about your mom that you hadn't known before? Well, my mother was one of those people, and we all know people like this, who adored dogs. And I knew that, of course. We had our own dog growing up, and she was clearly in love with that dog. But I didn't know how really deep that love was. There's a cute little story that I can share with you now about my mother's first dog named Trixie. And she was an English bulldog. So the first batch of puppies that Trixie had, there were 13 puppies. And then they decided the next time to breed her with the thoroughbred. She had one puppy. (laughs) I love that story. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's crazy. Anyway, so it, it was this report and then this collection so carefully boxed up of all these tiny little ceramic pooches. She never displayed them. She never talked about them. And here I I found them. And I put them on a shelf and looked at them in all the time in my office. And it reminded me of my dog-loving mother, bless her heart. Well, you did have a dog growing up, though. You said that lovely boxer named Ginger. But you never became a dog lover till later in life. Well, even though I wasn't the dog lover my mother was, I did love Ginger. And part of the reason I don't think I was a dog lover is I wanted a cat. And my father was such a brat, he wouldn't ever let me have a cat. (laughs) Anyway, but Ginger was quite something. And one of the things that she did was go berserk whenever she saw a squirrel. (laughs) And we had lots of squirrels in our area. And there was this great big oak tree in front of our house. And it had a very long limb that was parallel to the ground that would happen is we would say, squirrels on the tree, Ginger. And she would jump up into the crotch of the tree and go out on that long limb. (laughs) And it was quite a sight. And my father, the rascal, (laughs) used to say to us, well, I hope there's some drunk that drives down the street someday and thinks it's a mountain lion. (laughs) which, of course, didn't happen. But anyway, that gives you a little window into his thinking. The other funny story I can share about Ginger is that when Vic and I were little, it would be Easter, and, of course, we would go with our little baskets out to the backyard and collect our eggs. And then Mom and Dad would give us each a little bunny rabbit. And one was white and one was black. You mean a real live bunny rabbit? A live one? real little bunnies. And my father had built this rabbit hutch in the backyard. Well, every year that we got bunnies, Ginger would eat them. No. (laughs) That was not a happy ending for the bunnies. No. Anyway, (laughs) Ginger was a fabulous family pet, and I adored Ginger, even though my mother was the dog lover. So the dog coming to you, a dog of your own was not to come for many years, it seems. And you go to visit your lovely therapist, Linda, and she had a dog. What did it feel like when you said, kind of sarcastically, I think, oh, so now I'm supposed to get a dog too? What did it feel like when you tested and got the muscle answer? Yes. What did that Uh, feel like for you? (laughs) 
Sally, I was hysterical because literally my life was not going to work with a dog. I mean, I was gone all the time. I traveled all the time. And I had had this wonderful cat and I completely freaked out. I went, are you kidding me? But the thing about that is I had learned by that time that my inner truth was something I needed to pay attention to. So in spite of the fact that consciously I thought this was a totally ridiculous idea, I knew that I better follow the advice of my inner knowing, and so I did. Well, tell me more about that inner knowing. I mean, did you absolutely have to follow your intuition? According to my (laughs) many therapists, I'm what is called an extroverted intuitive. So I'm very extroverted, but I also have a very high degree of intuition. And that intuition is something that if you pay attention to it, you know what's really the right thing to do. And then there is this muscle testing technique, which really accesses very specifically whatever that truth is for the moment. And in this case with Linda, when I found out I was supposed to get a dog, I basically said, holy shit. I mean, I don't want to talk. (laughs) And yet I knew I had to do it. So I followed the advice of my inner knowing. Yeah. I understand better now when you explained the muscle testing. I'm glad you did that. It led me to this extraordinary experience with Shakti. Yeah. What if I had not followed that advice? I would have missed one of the greatest loves of my entire life. Yeah. So you had your answer. You knew you had to find a dog. So the next step was to find the dog. So I love that you grab your friend and (laughs) and you go to this cow palace. Why Barbara? Why was she the one that you decided she's got to come with me? Well, because Barbara had this exquisite standard white poodle named Coconut. And the reason I knew it was such a high being is that Barbara and I both shared the same guru, Guru Mai. And Gurmai was in Santa Clara one Christmas for a retreat, and Barbara took Coconut to meet the guru. And Gurmai stopped in her tracks upon seeing her and said, that's the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. So I knew that Barbara had this amazing dog and would be able to guide me in finding the right dog for me. Wow. So what was it like at the Cow Palace? (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, remember, at that point, I had not become a true dog lover. I was intimidated by this idea. So we get to the Cow Palace, and literally, it's three acres, literally huge. And it's full of all these breeders and their dogs. And so it was overwhelming. I was like totally in overwhelm. You would go up and talk to the breeders and they would tell you about their kind of dog. And then I started to notice that all the breeders sort of looked like each other and they sort of looked like their dogs. (laughs) So I had been to Scotland and I had fallen in love with these little Westies, little white Westies. And we couldn't find any Westies. But when I was talking to the terrier breeders, they sort of advised me that as a virginal puppy owner, and somebody with a garden, I really should not get a terrier. So at that point in time, Barbara says, well, let's go look at the poodles. (laughs) I love your first connection to the poodle people with their fashionista. I mean, that was really (laughs) hilarious that it was like looking in the mirror. How could you not get a poodle? (laughs) 
I know. It's exactly right. I mean, first of all, I didn't see any of the dogs. I just saw the breeders. And they were all in these designer outfits with jewels. And I went, these are my my people. people. I just love it. And little did you know that the dog was going to be your people. I mean, truly. So let's get to the dog coming into your life. I get the feeling you were quite ambivalent still. What were you feeling when he really dropped that dog off? I wasn't so much ambivalent as I was terrified at that point because I had made the decision to get the dog. But here is this little adorable fluff ball who arrives. And I had no training really on how to be a mother of any kind, let alone of this little precious puppy. So I was freaking out. And I have to tell you, it went on for several days. I mean, I did have (laughs) friends who came by to give me moral support. But two or three days into this, I had to go grocery shopping before I went to work. And I went to my favorite grocery store, Drager's in Mellon Park, about seven in the morning, which was really, really early for me. And I am pushing the cart down the aisles. And I felt like the 150-year-old woman. (laughs) I could barely move. It was the strangest feeling. Then I was aware that I was so almost catatonic over this responsibility of the puppy. So anyway, those first couple of weeks were just very hard for me. But she did grow on you. And (laughs) tell me a little bit about the name you chose for her. You wanted Valentina, but you were persuaded to call her a more unusual name. Tell us more about her name, landing on it. Yeah, that was a big thing because she comes with her kennel name, which was Bella, but I didn't want to keep that name. So I thought I'd call her Valentina, which, of course, I love hearts. And and she came to me at Valentine's Week. I thought it was a great name. But this friend, Anna, who had gone with me the time we first saw Shakti prancing around, kept saying, no, I think it should be Shakti. And I went, oh, come on. Shakti, I knew what it meant because I had a guru and I'd studied Sanskrit. But I thought, what a goofball name for my poor puppy. But Anna kept pushing it and pushing it. So finally I went, okay, Shakti Valentine. That was what I named her. And in the end, it proved to be the perfect name for her because she did exhibit all of these characteristics, this creative energy of the universe. So anyway, that's how it came to be. The timing's also interesting. I mean, I know that you got her after you had returned from that incredible spiritual journey to Egypt. And so tell us more about the timing of this animal coming into your life. Well, it was one of those things where I look back and I can say with all all seriousness, with all conviction, I'm positive that God arranged for me to have that dog at that time. Because I'd had this immensely spiritual experience in Egypt. And very shortly after that, this whole event with the dog thing happened. And I got her in February. And then by that time, I was totally smitten in love, adored her. In May, my younger brother died suddenly and tragically. And here was this adorable, loving companion that helped get me through that very difficult time. And then a few months later, 9-11 happened. 
So God had arranged, and I'm sure it was no accident, arranged for me to have this precious, loving creature in my life. It was magic, really. And you enjoyed quite a number of years with her, it seems like. 15 years? Did she live that long? Yes, she did. Bless her heart. And tell us more about how she died. Well, it was her heart that gave out in the end. And, you know, she started to have less energy, be more lethargic. And I guess I've always felt that I maybe missed a few signals that maybe I could have elongated her life if I'd taken her sooner to the vet. But one morning, I let her out, as usual, to go pee after the night. And she was in the garden, and she was moving very slowly toward the spot where I had buried my cat, Truffle. And it was like she paused there. And when I called for her to come back in the house, she could barely move. So I went out, and I picked her up and instantly took her to see the vet because there was clearly something not right. And it was that day that they said her heart was giving out and that they recommended I put her down. Oh, God, I don't even want to talk about it. So it was so horrible and so sudden and so unexpected. So I was just devastated. What was this about her going to Truffle's grave? Okay, so what happened was I later heard from one of my friends that there's there was this pet psychic, a British woman, who could give readings about you and your pet. So I sought out this woman, made an appointment, and among many other things, she told me something fascinating. And that was that Truffle and Shakti had a relationship and had for many years. And so when Shakti was going out for that last time in the garden, she was going up to where Truffle had been buried. And then I learned from the psychic that it was Truffle who took Shakti across to the other side. Oh, It's so touching. So both of my pets had a relationship. Something you said around her death that hit me so profoundly personally, because I just put my lovely dog down this week. I know. I'm so sorry, Sally. Yeah. Let me just say the timing of this particular episode is, again, very cosmic. I know. I know. But you said that the level of grief that you experienced was even more in ways than the loss of a family member. And I just wonder if you could speak a little bit to that. I mean, the unconditional love between you and this animal. Well, I guess it's not so unusual. And I felt a little guilty, but I was so profoundly full of grief over the loss of Shakti because she held such a huge place in my life. And her love was so pure and unconditional and ongoing and never ending. And besides, she was such a fun being to be around. If she could be a man, (laughs) that would be the perfect relationship. (laughs) So when she left me, of course, the loss was humongous. And when you lose a parent, or even when I lost my brother, they're not people who are in your life every day. You know, when you're not 
when you're grown up and, and you're an adult and you don't live close to your parents or even or your brother or whatever, and they pass on, of course, it's devastating. But it's not the same as losing a pet that you spend every day with. And it also, it's a different quality of love, isn't it? When you have a love for a human, there's all sorts of stuff around it, you know? And when the person passes on to the other side, then that stuff goes away. But when you're, you know, when they're still in their body, that stuff is kind of prevalent. But anyway, I felt a greater loss when, when I lost Rakti than I did even when my parents died. Yeah. Well, it's love in a different form. Speaking of love, you had a sweet love bite <laughs> that, that gave us an image of her. What Tell us more about that love bite. Well, it was one of those perfectly blissful moments where I was sitting in this beautiful setting, but I was uber aware of how blessed I was. And so I wrote about it at a certain point, and I shared it in a love bite because it it describes my relationship with Shakti, but it also describes those moments in our lives which are perfect. And your awareness is very high. And so here was this moment of bliss, and I wanted to share it in the story. Well, what I loved about the letter that you wrote to the Obama girls <laughs> is it shared kind of the dog side of her bliss. But what moved you to write that letter, Michelle? Oh, well. I mean, did you expect it? What moved you to write that? <laughs> You know, I'm a writer by nature, and I was inspired because I was very excited about Barack Obama, again, Barack being a weird name, Shakti being a weird name, about his election. And I also was very taken by his sharing in his inaugural address when he was elected that he was going to get a dog for the girls. So I thought, well, they should have a poodle. Of course they should have a poodle, a black <laughs> poodle in the White House. So I just, it was just an inspiration. I thought, I'm going to write a letter to the girls, Malia and Sasha, but I'm going to write it from Shakti's point of view. And I had more damn fun writing that letter. And I have to be honest <laughs> with you, every time I read it, I crack up. I crack up. Yeah, really funny. Hysterical. But did you expect a response? I mean, you were kind of writing it for the fun of it. Did you expect that they might write you back? Absolutely not. I mean, I <laughs> I didn't think I'd get a letter from Michelle Obama, for heaven's sakes. I did sort of hope they'd get a poodle, but I did not expect a letter in return. <laughs> so, Well, it makes me wonder if they got a Portuguese water dog, partly because of what you said in your letter. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Anyway, it's such a great story. I have to ask you something because it is a great story and it does show a side of her that hadn't been revealed earlier. But so when Shakti died, it was such a huge loss, but it's been a long time. So haven't you ever considered getting another dog? Well, you probably know this, Sally, just having gone through the loss of your dog. One wonders, should I get another dog? Should I not get another dog? It it's, becomes a big question. And it's a hard question to answer. I know that my mother, when we lost Ginger, as much as she loved dogs, would never get another dog because she did not want to experience such a great loss again. And I felt 
pretty much that same way. And then a couple of years later, I sort of toyed more seriously with getting a dog. I actually did get another dog from the same breeder oh, wow. who had bred Shakti, little fluff ball, black poodle that I named Cleo, who is one of the protagonists in my young adult novel, named after Cleopatra. <laughs> and I got this little fluff ball, and she wasn't Shakti. She was Cleo. And she was a rascal. She was just a rascal. And I had, it was very hard for me to, it was much harder to raise her than it had been Shakti. And then after I had her for a couple of years and finally got her through the puppy phase, I moved from my beautiful home with the garden into this lovely retirement community. And it just became impossible for me to handle her here. So after two and a half years, I had to find a new home for her. And it was very traumatic. I still miss her. I have her picture here on my desk. She was a pistol. But I found the most perfect new home for her. So it proved to be kind of a bittersweet experience, I have to say. Yeah. Back to Shakti for a moment, because the chapter's more about her. If you could sum up what it is to have loved and have been loved by someone like Shakti, what was that? Well, thank you for asking that question, because the subtitle of the book is Learning How to Love and Be Loved. And I think she was probably the best teacher I ever had. And also, I can say, it's the quality of love that was so extraordinary. It's the purity of love. And that is something that is divine to experience. It's very rare. And it's something that perhaps people find in relationships. But I think that, again, is highly unusual. So the fact that I had that experience of pure love is one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. I'm trying to hold back my tears. I know. It's hard. It's really hard. I'm crying, too. I mean, that love was such a great love, the greatest love of all. I think, I think Whitney Houston said that, right? <laughs> <laughs> that takes us back to Israel. Oh, God help us. Anyway. <laughs> it makes me look forward to more to come because it's also a deepening understanding of what love is to you through this book, Michelle. Yes, and for so many other people who have had the experience of loving an animal, like their dog. So I think a lot of us can share that experience. And for me, it was a precious and wonderful experience for which I will always be grateful. <sighs> Thank you for that, Michelle. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E-C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot Also check out our Facebook page and website, 
both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced by Studio Pod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com.